Testament it, it, that Jesus spoke were, was, you know, the one that opens and no man closes, the one that closes and no man can open. And when you look at the book of Genesis and you look at what God did uh, with Noah and his family in the ark, you see that, that there, was a, there was something special, there was something significant about that door. That door was the means of access to salvation. And so from the very beginning, a door has held a lot of significance. It was God who closed the door. And over a year later, when you look in, in Scripture, when you look at the timeline of everything, it was over a year later before Noah and his family and the animals came out of that ark. Don't you know that smelled good? <laughs> but over a year later Noah and his family and animals came out of the ark and God was the one who at the right time opened the door and so when it was safe for Noah and his family for the animals to go back out on dry land God did what only God can do and he opened up the way of access so when Jesus said that the, the shepherd takes care of the sheep and in me I am the good shepherd and the sheep go in and out and they find pasture he's talking about the fact that at one point there is that sense of salvation that sense of security but there's also that open door where God opens up his, his wealth God opens up his beauty to those that he loves and to those who are saved and so from the very beginning there's been a special significance about the door you look in the book of Exodus in the 13th chapter and if you remember it right you know Charlton Heston had petitioned uh, Gil Brenner several times about letting the people go when Moses was there petitioning the Pharaoh trying to get the children of Israel to be released from bondage that last plague came about that tenth plague that, that kind of did Pharaoh in do you remember what that plague was the death of the firstborn do you remember how the people of God were saved during that time put the blood on the doors they put the blood on the doorposts in the lintel so the door was covered by the blood. The door was the, the means of salvation only because it was covered by the blood. If it wasn't covered by the blood, you weren't exempt from the angel of death. And so from the very beginning, and that's what I want you to see, that there's so much, there's there's a richness to what Jesus says when Jesus says I am the door there's a lot of history there's a lot of background in that because you know of course Jesus was there from the beginning he is God and so from the very beginning that door has held a lot of significance and it's something that he knew people could relate to that's something that's neat about Jesus. I mean, he, 
He's God. He's, he was there at the creation of the world. Uh, he has all knowledge. And yet he would be able to use simple objects to tell people who he is. It's kind of neat in the, in the Old Testament. God uses those instances to kind of paint a picture across the canvas of time of who he is. And then Jesus was the fulfillment of that picture. Jesus said, here I am. I am everything that this has led up to. And tonight we look at the door. And so I want you to take that journey with me for just a moment in Matthew, uh, excuse me, in the book of John chapter 10, verses 7 through 9. So Jesus said again, I assure you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and out and find pasture. He will come in and out and find pasture. Do you, do you think... David, King David knew about how good God was as a shepherd he said the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me to lie down in green pastures he restores my soul he leads me beside the still waters David knew what a good shepherd God was and he knew that God brought him in and then he would let him go out and he would watch over him as, as he led him to those green pastures as he led him to the still waters David knew about that door David was a man after God's own heart we know that David had a lot of sin in his life and we praise God that, that as we look at David's life we can see a man who made mistakes and yet God used him in a powerful way because it just reminds us that even though we make a lot of mistakes in life, God can use us in a powerful way if we trust him and we walk through that door. And so in the book of, in the book of John, in that 10th chapter, Jesus is talking about those who came before him. And some have supposed that maybe he was talking about people who in, in the past before him had set themselves up as a Messiah and people had, had followed them on occasion and, and that, that wasn't the case there's no record in history to say that there was anybody who had really set themselves up as a Messiah even though we know in our day and time there have been many who have set themselves up as a Messiah and people have followed them mistakenly. Think about David Koresh in Waco. He claimed to be the Messiah. People followed him. We know that he was a thief, that he was a robber because he was causing people to miss the beauty of what God had for him. Even though he was using scripture, you know, <laughs> Satan's good at at using scripture to fool people. All you have to do is look at some of these 
so-called religions in our day, the, the people who go from house to house trying to encourage you a little bit, try to, try to get you to listen to them, they try to use scripture in a way and twist it, get into your mind and into your heart and cause you to believe something that's really not true about scripture. And so there, there were some that supposed that maybe there were false prophets that, that were rising up and it could have been the, the false prophets from before that Jesus was talking about, the thieves and the robbers, but it certainly wasn't anybody who had claimed to be the Messiah. We know from biblical evidence that there were other leaders who had disciples, even like Jesus had disciples, but they didn't claim to be a Messiah. They were just teachers. And that's why a lot of people called Jesus the good teacher. Because there were a lot of teachers. And there were a lot of teachers who had disciples that followed after them. But none of those teachers, none of those leaders were Jesus. Nor did they claim to be Jesus. But here Jesus is talking about those false prophets who had come before and those who had, had tried to manipulate the sheep he's even pointing directly at the Pharisees, the Sadducees and the scribes of that day just showing how much of a thief and a robber they were I want you to see something about this particular passage of scripture, Jesus made a lofty claim using a common object and he did that so that people could understand Whenever you look in scripture and you look at the parables, Jesus uses something that's common, something that the people can look at. <clears throat> when I studied Greek in college, we looked at scripture and we, we found out that scripture was written in what was called Koine Greek. That just simply means it was common. It was something that people could understand. It was written so that the common ordinary man or woman could understand what Jesus was saying and understand that from the very beginning to the very end, what God is showing us is his love and his desire for us to come into the fold. That's what's happening. And so Jesus uses that, that common ordinary object to make that lofty claim. The picturesque word door has been used interchangeably in scripture with the word gate. And so when you see the word gate in scripture, it's, it's also a reference to a door. When we, when we think about that, we think about an opening. We think about something that, that covers that opening that causes uh, a special need for access that's not just open that there ha you have to go through a specific thing, a specific object. By definition of practical understanding, a door is used to separate. You know, whenever we came into this room tonight, we came through a door. If we came through the glass or we came through the wall, there would be a problem, would there not? The door is the way of access. It is designed for a purpose. Because if somebody comes through that glass right there, guess what? They're probably a robber. They're probably a thief. 
when I was pastoring in Athens back in the early 90s, I went into my office one morning and I felt a cold chill. Even when I got out of the car that morning in my office, I, I felt this cold chill. There was just something that, that came over me and the hair on the back of my neck stood up. I walked into the front door and the building was open and we had a bunch of stuff that wasn't there anymore. And I'm in there by myself and I'm thinking, I hope they're not still in there. When I looked around, all of our sound equipment was gone and the speakers even had been pulled out of the wall at the top uh, of the sanctuary. They'd been pulled out my office had been completely ransacked. They took one of my briefcases, which, by the way, had Bibles in it, <laughs> and, and, and some other light reading for them. But they took all of that stuff, and, and, and we looked back, and we saw that they had, they had made a way of access that wasn't supposed to be there. Well, the good news about that was, I mean, even though the, the sum total of that was somewhere around $15,000 worth of stuff that they took from us, we got that replaced, God blessed, and we were able to get that replaced pretty quickly. And when you got a security system put in, and guess what? Two weeks after we got the security system put in, I went back into the office one morning, and the building was open again, and you could see because it was during the summer when the grass is, you know, kind of burned up and you could see where they had come through the door. They had literally opened the door like a, like a can of tuna or something. I mean, they just rolled it up. They had some kind of tool that they rolled it up with. You could see where they stepped in the church and set the alarm off and they spun around and went back out. You could see that in, in the carpet where they had, they'd gotten right in front of the sensor and set the alarm off. But they were thieves. They're robbers. You know, the thing is, is if they had come in the proper way and, and if they really had need of something, there's probably not anybody in that church that wouldn't have given them something. There's probably not anybody in that church even to this day that wouldn't give them the shirt off their back but they were robbers, they were thieves. They came in another way and took what was not theirs. And Jesus said there's a whole lot of folks trying to take what's not theirs. You see, the religious leaders uh, were trying to do that. And, and so when we look at the door, we see that it's a way of access from one room to the other. It's a way of access from one place to another, even from inside to outside. You think about inside being in that security, that safe environment. When I was a little boy, we were in a tornado. My dad's first thought when he was living, every time there was a bad storm that came up, he was ready to get out the door, into the car, and try to outrun the storm. That was my dad's favorite thing to do. And it scared the living daylights out. One night I can remember my dad running through the house yelling for everybody to wake up that there was a tornado coming. At the time, he was the chief of computer operations at Red River Army Depot in Texarkana, and he was on the phone with some folks at work late that night, 
and he happened to be on the phone and he heard the tornado. He called for us to come and guess what he wanted to do? <laughs> he reached for the front door because he was going to take us out the front door. And you know when 10 and 2 by 4s go flying past the front door, you don't want to go out there anymore. When he opened that door and saw all of that stuff flying past the front door, my brother yelled, here it comes, hit the ground. There were five of us that night. One of my sisters wasn't present. There were five of us that night that were in a space that was as wide as a refrigerator. Huddled up together, and I remember my dad pouring his heart out to God, asking for God to protect us. God was keeping us safe in that house. Even though my dad at that point in time didn't feel safe, I can remember my dad pouring his heart out to God. And even as a young boy, feeling that fear in my heart, I began to pray. And you know, the next morning when we saw the damage that was done by that tornado, that tornado had literally come up to the gate or to the fence of our property. It had lifted up, gone over our house, and sat down on the other side and went through our pasture, tore our barn up, sent a piece of tin halfway through an oak tree. That's how powerful the thing was. Everything else around us was damaged. Our house, not a shingle was off of that house. God kept us safe inside that door. We didn't need to go outside at that time because there was danger outside. That door separated the inside from the outside. It, it separated safety from danger. That's what God did for us. That's what Jesus does for us when we come to faith in him. He takes care of us as we go through that door. In other terms, it's a point of access. The context of this I am statement of Jesus. What was the situation that prompted it? Well, all you have to do is look at the previous chapter and you see a very important story that preceded this particular event where Jesus said, I am the door. When you look at that instance in John chapter 9, you see that that was the healing of the man that was born blind from birth. And so here's the situation in a nutshell. Jesus cured the man that was born blind from birth. Now, that man had been sitting in the same place in the city, by the city gate. He'd been sitting there. He had been taken there probably every day of his life. couldn't see, didn't have any way of making any kind of income, so the only thing that the parents could do, the only thing that the family could do is put him there and beg for alms so that they could be supported with him. But Jesus, in that instance, goes to him and he reaches over on the ground and he takes spit and he puts it in the dirt and he makes... A salve and he, he puts it on the man's eyes 
And you know, when, when the scales were wiped away, the man was rejoicing because he could see. He'd never been able to see. You know what the first question was? So, teacher, who, who sinned? Why is he blind? Was it because his parents sinned? Was it because of something he did? You see, the thought was, if something bad's happening in your life, then you must have done something wrong. Now, let me preface that by saying this. There are times when that does happen. You suffer the consequences of the choices you make. But it doesn't necessarily mean that this man was born blind because he sinned or his parents sinned or anybody else caused it. Jesus said, it's so that you could see the power of God this day. It's not because of anything else. It's so that Jesus could show you a miracle and so that you could catch hold a little bit more of who he is so that you could have a chance to walk through that door. But the religious leaders condemned the work of Christ. They said, he's not of God. Do you know why they said that he was not of God? I mean, even after that miracle, what what were they mad about? He healed on the Sabbath day. <laughs> you know, you can't heal on church day. <laughs> the religious leaders, let me tell you how bad it was. In that day and time, the religious leaders had so many rules. You know, they had the laws, and then they put laws on the laws, and then they put laws on the laws on the laws. Till there were over a thousand different laws. <laughs> what they were trying to do was to make religion cumbersome. They were trying to make the way of God of, of no effect in somebody's life. And it was even so bad that there was a, there was a law that, that said that you could not travel a certain distance on the Sabbath day. That you, you know, you... You had to watch it. You couldn't travel a certain distance. You know what the religious leaders did? They found a house the day before the Sabbath. They found a house where they could put clothing, put a garment, and they would put it in that house so that they could travel to that house, which wasn't too far, and then they could travel some more. Seems ridiculous, doesn't it? When you get encumbered in religion, that's exactly what happens. It gets absolutely preposterous. That's what the religious leaders had done, and that's why they condemned the work of Jesus because they said, you can't heal on the Sabbath. And then one of the religious leaders got kind of, he got kind of smart, and he said, you know, he did something good can't really say that he's not of God he did something good by healing the blind man but you know the religious leaders were, were really mad about what took place because they didn't want anybody to focus on anybody else but them they wanted the attention and that was really the number one reason why they they got so aggravated with Jesus because they saw multitudes of people following him. They saw wonderful works that he had done, miraculous things that he had done, and yet 
they wanted him out of the picture just simply because he was getting more attention. People loved him. People followed him. That's what they wanted from other people, but they were forcing people to do it. They weren't loving people into it. But then the religious leaders go, they're, they're really trying to find out you know exactly what the story of this blind man is. Even in fact, they said, well, maybe it's just somebody that looks like him. Maybe it wasn't really him. Maybe it was somebody else. Maybe this person really had their sight that Jesus really didn't do anything. And so they went to the parents. <laughs> and, and this is what just kills me. Parents said, he's an adult. Go ask him who it was. And the reason they said that is because they didn't want to get in trouble with the religious leaders. They were placing the blame on somebody else. Do you remember anything that happened like that, maybe in the book of Genesis, uh, sometime around the garden, when blame was passed from one person to the next? Yeah, Adam. You know, that, that kills us, man. We, we blamed it on the on the woman. <laughs> but Adam was right there. He could have stopped it. He should have stopped it. God told him not to do it. He was the one that had the authority to say, no, uh -uh, this is not of God. But he didn't stop it. But yet he said, she gave it to me. Now what did she do? Serpent did it. Yeah. It's always past the blame, right? Well, that particular scenario really doesn't stop, and it didn't stop in the New Testament because the parents of this man that was born blind said, we don't know who it was. He's an adult. You go ask him who it was. They didn't really want to get in trouble. They didn't want to have any problem with the religious leaders. They were scared to death of the Pharisees. But you know, the blind man <coughs> confesses his faith in Jesus. In fact, when they asked him again, they said, who was it that healed you? He said, you know, I don't know who he was. All I know is that I was blind, but now I see. Because, you know, Jesus went back to him and, and spoke to him. And Jesus, in that ninth chapter, said when Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out because they threw him out of the synagogue. They put him out of the place. They expelled him. It says, when Jesus heard that they threw the man out, he found him and he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one who is speaking with you now. And here's the confession. I believe, Lord. And when you look at that, you see the translation that we have that's the uppercase L and then O-R-D. That's Yahweh. I believe. So he, he confesses that, hey, he's not just a good teacher. He is... God. He is Yahweh. And he said, I believe. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do, do see will become blind. 
some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? Notice what Jesus said. If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. In fact, Jesus was telling them, you know full well what you're doing. You have your sight. And he's not just talking about physical sight. He's talking about spiritual sight. He said, you have that sight. You know exactly what you're doing and you're guilty. And so that was the situation that prefaced this where Jesus said, I am the door. So Jesus characterizes the religious leaders as having their sight and therefore they are without excuse. <coughs> now notice the contempt of Jesus for the corruption. In John chapter 10, Jesus refers to the thieves and robbers and this statement was directed towards those religious leaders. The religious leaders claimed to be instructors of the people to have the right to regulate religion. They thought they had the right to put all of these weights upon religion. And actually what they did was they burdened the people down. Sometimes in our day we call it legalism. Have you ever heard somebody who was so religious that they were legalistic and they they added things to scripture just to make it more powerful like it needed to be any more powerful that's what the Pharisees did that's what the Sadducees did all of those religious leaders of that day you see they were rich they were powerful people and what they did is they oppressed the people. And so that's what they were doing in this day and time. They oppressed the people, and that's why Jesus said that the thief comes to steal away what God has given so that the people might have a personal relationship. You see, right along in that situation in chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. It's by me and by me alone. And so the religious leaders wanted people to cling to them rather than really get to know God. The concentrated focus now of the I am statement. Jesus said that he's the door. And that means, in a nutshell, that there is no other way to be reconciled with the Father but through the Son. He is the door. The way of access. I shared the story about when I was pastoring in Athens. Also, when I was pastoring in Athens, a situation happened one day. I was, I was at the house. It was on my day off uh, during the week, and it was cold outside. I mean, really, really cold. We lived right there on, on Lake Athens, and there, there was a car that drove up in, in the yard, and I was at the house by myself. And the car drove up there in the driveway, and an older gentleman got out. 
He comes to the door, knocks on the door, <coughs> and he begins to share with me some things about his church. Well, I was a little taken back because usually when the people who talk about that particular church come, there's usually two females that come to the door. At least that's been my experience most of the time. Two or three females come to the door and they begin to share with you about their faith. I'm talking about the Jehovah's Witness. Shared with me a few pieces of literature that were watchtower material. When I when he said, I'd like to give you this, I thought, you know, maybe the man's just, you know, maybe he's got a track from his church, an advertisement about something's going on in his church. I took it and I turned it over and it was Watchtower Bible Society. And so he talked to me there for a minute. And now I want you to understand this man was a very respected man. He is a very respected man even to this day in the city of Athens. Uh, big banker man, but he was part of uh, the Jehovah's Witness Church. Um, and he was telling me all this stuff and I said, hang on just a minute, let me ask you a question. I said, you, you don't believe that Jesus is God incarnate, do you? He said, oh, no. <laughs> I said, so let me ask you this. Do you believe that God would allow anything or anyone to be worshipped above him? He said, absolutely not. I took my Bible and opened it up, and I said, sir, would you tell me then why it says that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He just kind of looked and he said, I'll have to get back with you on that. He stepped <laughs> away, never saw him again. When you begin to say that Jesus is the only way, that God came in the form of mankind to be the only way of access into a relationship with the Father, when you begin to nail it down like that, there are going to be people who don't like that at all. Because they want to find some other way. Because they think that we're intolerant. And you know, that's okay. Does the Bible ever tell you to be tolerant? doesn't tell you to be tolerant of those things that are against Christ. It tells you to love others, to show that love and to be willing to reach out to others, but it never tells you to be tolerant of anything or anybody that tells you that there's some other way other than Jesus because he is the door. Absolutely. That blood that's over the door is no longer the blood of sheep and goats. That blood that's over the door, the way of access for us, is the precious blood of the spotless Lamb of God. People don't like that because it's exclusive. People want to be inclusive. But you see, the Word of God says... Specifically, even as, as Jesus said, you know, wide is the gate 
and broad is the way that leads to destruction and many there are that find it. There are a lot of people even with good intentions that go through the wide gate but the roads of hell as I've heard an old evangelist friend of mine say over and over and over again the roads of hell are paved with people with good intentions but the word of God also says that narrow is the gate narrow is the way that leads to life and it says there are few that find it there are few that want to walk that path toward the only door that will lead them into a relationship with God the Father there are other scriptures that are on your list in fact we've referenced those tonight but I encourage you to take a look at those for yourself when you think about Jesus being the door take a look at those and see how God's worked from the very beginning to show us that door to show us that way of access maybe in your own time of study if you have other scriptures that you can add to it that would be great in our world this is the world view <coughs> that everything is equal and all roads lead to God in fact, I've heard a, a, a popular uh, talk show host who is no longer on national TV but has her own, her own station now. She has even declared that there are many ways to God. That we're all just out here doing our own thing and sooner or later we're going to find our way to God it doesn't matter where you fall into this but you see that's not that's not the biblical truth the biblical truth is this biblical truth the exclusionary truth is that the only way to a relationship with God is through Christ Jesus I 
I love what Dr. Platt said in the secret church. He said that, you know, Christianity, the Bible, is the only work that has predictive prophecy. And it's the only book that has had over 40 authors over 1,500 years saying the same thing. It can be trusted. And folks, you know, I've heard people deny truth. I've heard them argue truth. But the thing is, you can never change truth. You can argue it. You can deny it all you want to. You can't change the truth. And Jesus said, I am the door. Through me and only me. So I want to encourage you tonight. As you look at the door and you look at the significance even of that simple object. Think about what that means. Jesus takes you through that door. He keeps you safe and secure. In fact, he tells us in the word that the Holy Spirit has been given to those who come through that door as a promise, as a down payment of things to come. In fact, the word of God says an earnest. An earnest is like a down payment to say, that's mine. And there's more coming. So Jesus said, to all of those who come in, they have the, the spirit within them. They have me living within them. And when it's safe and when everything's secure, they can go in and out and find pasture. I'll provide everything that they need. But it's only through me. So tonight as you think about the significance of the door, I want to ask you, do you thank God on a daily basis for opening that way of access for you? Do you thank God on a daily basis that the blood of Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, is over that door as a symbol of significance for you and me? And as a show from the Father God that He loves us, cares about us. I want to encourage you. Thank God on a daily basis for it. And share that good news with others. 